Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, You can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you will receive early access to inquiries of our reality, big dumb inquiries, and bizarre encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed, to chat rooms, to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media or feel free to email me at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash increaseofourrealitypodcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you. And I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 57th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Lanny and Chud X from The World As It Is Today. How's it going, guys? Hey, it's going great. Yeah, it's a good day. 
So uh, I guess a good starting point for anybody that doesn't know who you guys are, uh, why don't you give them a rough idea of what Greener Postures is, what the world as it is today is, and just all around everything that you guys do. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Lanny and Chud X is my husband. That's me. Our podcast is The World As It Is Today, where we talk about parenting and homesteading and all the crazy things um, from the point of view of our anarcho family values and kind of like homesteading mindset. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Greener Postures is just kind of what we've named any project we're doing um, that's geared toward the freedom community. So we've got the the podcast under that banner kind of as well. Uh, but we have like um, workshops that we're doing online for, for fermentation. And uh, I've got a YouTube channel called Preserving Today that's um, under that as well. So yeah, just lots of stuff with um, food and family and homesteading. And that's just the online portion of things. We do stuff in in real life as well, uh, such as such as uh, Agora Markets on our property and um, in workshops, the same as the online ones, but in person. Yeah, in our kitchen and skill shares and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know you guys actually did stuff like hands-on in person too. Mm-hmm. That's how uh, it started. Yeah, we, we were there for a long time before deciding to step into the evil internet. Yeah. And, it took uh, us a while to, to <laughs> make that plunge. So that's pretty recent. Actually. Uh, we just started our website. It's greeterpostures.com just a couple weeks ago. So yeah, yeah. it's official. We're fully online. <laughs> Talk about expansion though, because now it's like, you can still kind of be local in a sense with uh, like keeping it tight knit with like the people that you like having around and things, but you can expand that, you know, to like an international level. Um, cause yeah. I, I remember oh. going to your guy, the fermentation lab and there, I remember hearing somebody from Australia too. Like, that's awesome that you can spread yeah. that far. <laughs> yeah. We had drew missing from, uh, missing the point. You're missing the point podcast. Oh yeah. Great Join podcast. Us for the last one, the fermented beverages workshop. Yeah. It really is a huge expansion on, on a multitude of levels, obviously like distance wise, you know, people from Australia aren't coming to our place to, to buy some sausage or something like that. Um, but it, uh, it's really cool. Like, like what I discovered immediately upon like podcasting and putting myself out there on the internet was like, now I can look more for, for, for more so like-minded people than I really can in my local area. I mean, like I I know some very like-minded people here, which is cool, but a lot of the people that I meet and I do business with here, it's like, it's like, we need, we agree on one thing or another, but uh, you know, like we, we both agree that, you know, masks are stupid. Right. You know, this is last year. I know. So last year to talk about masks, but we'll agree that masks are stupid. But then if I start talking about terrain theory, which isn't something that like I'm passionate about, but I, but I like to talk about and I'll bring up, I'll start getting slight glances that, you know, they're like, Oh, Whoa, are you crazy? You know, like they don't want to talk about the moon landing. They don't want to talk about conspiracies that, you know, they, they're just stuck on that masks are stupid. And that's, that's cool. I want to be ally with that person. I want to buy beef from that person. I want to do business with that person, but I can't get nearly as personal as I can, oddly enough, with people from as far away as Australia when we can just, you know, like I figure out that we're, we, we figure out via podcasting that we're very like-minded and we can talk about hidden history and uh, moon landing stuff and, you know, go really, really deep on a, a plethora of subjects as opposed to just having to kind of keep it business surface level. Yeah. And even more than being like-minded is being really, truly open-minded so that people yeah. are just willing to just ha- talk about whatever without getting upset about it. Mm-hmm. And we have found some people in real life through, um, through the internet 
in that are, are, are that way that are open enough to have conversations about how recycling doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. Cause most of it just gets thrown away anyways. Like we have that literally at my work that there's a recycle bin, but we take out the garbage and it goes right into the garbage bin. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah. I have to talk about <laughs> recycling is one of my, my early, early red pills long before I was ever using the term red pill or anything, but I was working in a, in a co-op with a lot of hippies. Uh, everyone was very into recycling and, uh, I was, I just questioned, I questioned, I was just asking a question. I was like, I, I said, I, I just have to wonder, is it actually better for the environment with all of the, 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 the energy that goes into melting this can down that I was holding and all the smoke that that machine is belching out into the air. And then the energy that it takes to create the new can and all this stuff, does it actually end up having less of an impact on the environment than just throwing this in the landfill for someone generations down the road to remine? And everyone there just flipped out on me. <laughs> they, I mean, they really, really flipped out. One guy saying, my mom started the recycling program around here. You don't know who you're talking <laughs> to. And, uh, and I was like, whoa, whoa. I, you know, I know who I'm talking to, guys. I'm just asking a question. And I realized that, whoa. Amongst these, uh, what I at that point thought were very open-minded liberal friends of mine, I started realizing, oh, there's a lot of questions I can't ask. There's a, there's a lot of lines where they've decided that this is the, the, the correct answer and we can't, we can't question anything beyond that. And that was, you know, this was like 2003, 2005, something like that, long time ago now, decades ago now. All of that is like so much more hyper now of that you you say the wrong thing and what are you a Trump supporter <laughs> you yeah, know like you get canceled off of everything if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person now yeah, and they'll exactly. like blow you That's, up all over the place two decades ago i experienced kind of like getting canceled in real life amongst my coworkers when i questioned workplace. when i questioned i just questioned recycling yeah dude it's crazy too that like there there can be groups of people that seem like they're so open minded like just from you know like the I guess, normal society's view of them. But then as soon as you ask the wrong questions, it completely like blows up in your face. And it's kind of weird how once you start kind of getting into the community that we're all kind of involved in, you realize that it's kind of a weird community where there's not necessarily extremists of anything because those are the people that end up getting the most offended by if you ask the wrong questions. It's kind of like everybody is almost like a jack of all trades in a sense where they kind of have their feet dabbled in a little bit of everything. But because of that, they can make educated decisions on things and not just be completely blind by the fact that, you know, I'm a hippie, I'm recycling, for example, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that Jack of all trades comparison. That's a good one. That's, that's a a really good way to put it. It all combines into, I I think maybe we talked about this last time I was on here with, with Adam, how, how the more of this, this world you get into, the more you realize, the less, you know, you know, and, and that is, that's that like-mindedness I was talking about earlier. The more, the more we realize that we don't know, or the more we think we are learning, the more we realize we don't know, like starts becoming this, this, it's like almost a mantra amongst, amongst many of us. And, uh, and that is another way of being crazily open-minded. Yeah. Every, every answer brings 10 more questions. Exactly. Even in a little more like literal sense if somebody isn't into like the conspiracy type aspect of things too, but just like, when something gets updated, like the process of doing something too, it's almost like you have to unlearn the old processes you did in order to learn this new process. So it's like, it's something that you see regularly in life, but for whatever reason, when it comes to like thoughts and opinions, like people just don't have that mentality to 
get new information and change the process, you know? And in turn, at that point, you're just going to keep continuing the same old process and nothing's ever going to change or get better and improve at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I guess another good point to get started into everything too is that, uh, so well, like what, what started you guys into like what you're doing? Like what, what, uh, what was like your starting point, I guess, to where you decided that you wanted to get into like the homestead style life and um, started kind of getting more into, I guess, the alternative lifestyle in general? Well, I'd say before um, homesteading, per se, um, our our son, when he was less than two, less than one, even he was 18 months, 18 a months, year and a half. he had a very severe peanut um, allergy reaction um, where we had to we had to call 911. It was it was pretty scary. Um, and it kind of it sent us into this whole freak out that involved, um, trying to understand what causes peanut allergies. And this caused a massive examination of everything food related. And, um, part of that process was we, we had to quit going out to eat. We had to quit, uh, buying packaged food. We just started having to cook all of our meals for ourselves so that we could guarantee, cause it, it, as it was at the time, they told us not only that he was allergic to peanuts, but literally everything they tested for uh, Ooh, eggs, rough. eggs, dairy, um, all, tr- all the tree nuts, all cat, nuts. cats, dogs, grass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we were just kind of, we, we were kind of, and, and it was a really bad reaction. Um, you know, it's, he was vomiting and tongue swelling up. And I, I kind of feel like if we just had uh, ignored it, he, he wouldn't have made it, you know, it would have just continued in, in a, in a very negative way. So we were quite afraid of that happening again. And from that fear, we were just like, okay, you know, we can't, we can't trust anyone except ourselves to touch our own food for till, till we get this straight until we figure this out. And, um, you know, in time we came to realize that he wasn't allergic to most things. Uh, it, as, as it turns out, it's just peanuts and a couple tree nuts and, and that's well, it. Well, it really led to learning how to heal your body through food mm-hmm. and, and how the medical system does not actually know the why, and they don't care. They just know the, oh, you had an allergic reaction. Here's a prescription for an EpiPen, avoid the top eight allergens and that's it. And they didn't want to even like explore the interesting part of it, which is why would a body have a reaction to something that's benign to other people Mm -hmm. and coming to try to explore that with, um, doctors and professionals and specialists and, and just hitting a wall every time, just like this dead eyes, like people just did not give a shit. The intellectual curiosity disappeared. (laughs) So when that really made me realize that the medical system doesn't actually know anything and that we have to seek our own cure. And so it was just studying a lot about the body and the microbiome and that led me to start fermenting. So that was like really a big first step is like, yeah, I, I cooked. Okay. You know, before this, but I definitely got better doing things from scratch, but I learned to ferment because I wanted to add healthy probiotics to our diet. And we couldn't afford to buy the capsules in the store that cost like $30 a bottle. So I, I had made yogurt before. So I started making yogurt, but I couldn't give that to our kid because he couldn't have dairy. So then I tried sauerkraut and I tried fermented carrots and I made fermented cauliflower with curry spice in it. And I just kind of expanded from there. And 
till it became kind of an obsession. And yeah, long story short, uh, through gentle exposure and probiotics, our kid can have most everything, still not peanuts, but he's got, he can eat a bunch of tree nuts and he can eat eggs and dairy and has for years now and he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Do you guys still avoid everything normally from the store, assuming that, you know, most things have like coconut oil or not coconut oil, but peanut oil and a bunch of other different things in it? No, we do read packages. And if, if things um, ha- contain the, the nuts he's allergic to, we don't buy them. But yeah. we try to make our own food because it's better, but we don't have to be afraid to not go to restaurants and things like that anymore. In a perfect world, we wouldn't buy any prepackaged food, period, because I think that stuff is poison. But it's Honestly. also a very con- it's a very convenient poison. So we do succumb to that, uh, as, as most folks do. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so we don't we don't rule it out entirely, but we definitely try. The, the more stuff that we, that we can do at home, the better. I mean, honestly, it's better that way anyways. Cause then it's like, you know, anyway, like you were saying where the food's coming from. So it's more trusted at that point, you know, how old it is, you know, when it was picked, just all those things on top of that. But, uh, I guess another thing that I've been kind of curious about. So as far as like you guys growing your own food and pretty much like self-sustaining yourself for the most part, like what's like a day in the life doing that? Like what's your everyday normal, everything you got to normally deal with. So we are not self-sustaining and we do, we definitely aren't off grid. So just like to be really clear, but we do have a shitload of chickens and um, we try to cook our own food and we have a big vegetable garden. So to kind of jump from the allergic reaction to where we are now, you know, we started a garden at our old house and did things like that. And then in 2019, we had the opportunity to move here to this homestead that was, has been in Chad's family for over a hundred years. And so when we moved in, we had like this built-in awesomeness of like apple trees, cherry trees, um, uh, pears, blackberries. And then since then we've added raspberries and strawberries to that. And uh, we've got walnut trees and it's like just goes, the list goes on. Yeah. Tons of different kinds of wild berries in the, in the forest. Um, So we just try to, I think of it as this, like, just like baby steps, um, you know, if something piques our interest, we start to study it. And then we try to take that on as a new project. So, you know, at first at the old house, it was a tiny vegetable garden and I learned how to do that. Um, but for me, food preservation is really something I focus on because like, there's a ton of people talking online about growing your own food. And I really appreciate that. It's very, very important. It's great. But the part that I think it's then skipped over is that unless you're in Florida, you don't, your growing season is not all 12 months, right? You have times of the year where you need to sustain yourself on food that you grew previously. So food preservation is super important. So canning, dehydrating, um, and uh, fermentation is a really integral part of how we preserve our food. So a day in the life here is Chud's taking care of outside stuff like chickens get fed and watered and chickens we just we had meat birds up until about a week actually a week ago today today. we slaughtered 20 um of our meat chickens and before that they were in a chicken tractor and he would move them at least once a day to new fresh grass feed and water them and i i pretty much man the garden mostly except some of the bigger projects like he puts it together and helps me weed sometimes and keeps it trimmed the areas that aren't, aren't supposed to be growing and then I'm out there harvesting stuff as it needs to be harvested and figuring out what to do with it to keep it, you know, so we're eating it fresh now while it's tasty. Yeah, you're, and, you're doing the planting ske- planting and harvesting scheduling and uh, really making all the big calls on the garden. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, like we had a bunch of peas. So I shelled a bunch of peas, 
and I preserved them in two ways. And then we ate some for dinner. Mm-hmm. So uh, then we had a bunch of beets. So I harvested all the, the beets that were ready and I was sick of beet greens. So those went to the chickens. They're going to make eggs out of the beet greens for <laughs> us and, uh, you know, cook those off and try to figure out what to do with them. Um, and then for meat, like we just did our own chickens, which was really exciting. It was our first time doing that many. We've only done our own roosters. So it was our first time doing a specific meat, uh, meat breed. And then yeah, first, first time, time doing raising, that many. raising meat birds was a new, was new for us. And then, and then doing 20 in a row in one day was, was much larger than we'd ever done before. And how fast is that cycle too? Cause I had a meat bird at one point and what, what is it like three months and they're already at full size where you can, I wish. Yeah, I wish. no, it was a month and a half. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought, we, yeah, we, we went seven weeks and three days um, from hatch date and we should have probably taken them out a week before that. Cause yeah. these birds were big. They, they were, didn't fit in our kill cone. No, we had to, yeah, we had to change plans at the last second cause they were too big. And yeah, most of them averaged about eight pounds. And if you're thinking of a, you know, a nice organic free range chicken from the store, those, those are like max six pounds or like five, five pounds, you know, in the five pound range, four to six pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lot, a lot of, like big chickens and it's just uh it was made for a lot of work what breed was it i would say i had a cornish cross but i tried not to super fatten him up because i was trying to keep him alive so that's probably where like that process was a little bit longer so he was able to walk and get around and stuff but like yeah it was a it was a cornish cross yeah cornish cross but uh i just well you know i had like i said it was a new new breed for me and um I was very surprised at their behavior as soon as they started. Once they got out of the brooder box and they were outside, I realized very quickly, like they didn't want to eat any even feed off the ground, uh, let alone grass itself, let alone the bugs in the grass. They were only interested in our feed. They were super lethargic. They just wanted to like lay down next to the feeder and eat. And I could not believe how much feed they went through. Uh, you know, in fact, I could talk about that for a sec. Um, that we ended up going through a lot more feed. We, we went through about double what we had planned ahead of time. And when we were just trying to figure out our cost and how many we were going to be raising and, and all these ideas that we had, you know, everything can look great on paper, but then you get out there and you actually do it. And they ate a lot more than I expected. And um, as we did that, you know, something that comes up often when we mentioned that we're raising like meat birds, people go, oh, that must save you so much money. And the the truth is a lot of these things we do don't save us money. Um, But like you mentioned earlier, um, how much better is food when you make it yourself, when you avoid those prepackaged foods, how much better is the chicken that you raised yourself than the stuff from the store? It's um, it's, it's a quality issue much more. And it's not even quality is not even the right word. It's a, it's the feeling that you get. When oh, you're, and when you're doing you can't, I mean, the value that you get from the experience and knowing that you can do that, then there, that's true. huge. Yeah. Then there's the apocalyptic side of it, as I like to think about it, you know, like we're, you know, I, I don't go big on cryptocurrency or even, you know, metals or, or, or USDs or any of that as nearly as much as I do knowledge and skills and tools and uh, being able to raise and slaughter our own animals is like that that's invaluable to me be very few know at this time it's uh it's become um it was uh it was in 2006 that uh some friends of mine 
and I, we were a bunch of metalheads, and we thought that on 6606, it would be pretty, pretty cool if we got a goat. And, uh, <laughs> and we quote unquote sacrificed the goat and ate it, um, which uh, did not go very well um, because none of us knew what we were doing. Um, that, that goat died a, a terrible death and not because we were like, you know, Satanists that were torturing it or something like that. We were really, we were, we were being respectful and, and, you know, trying to properly slaughter a goat so that we could, we could eat. We had, we had a whole plan in place, you know, we had like a, an engine hoist ready to drain the blood and all these things. And, but when it actually came time to do the deed, none of us knew what we were doing. And that really disturbed me back then because, it was a bunch of able-bodied men in our prime and none of us knew how to do this. And this was a skill that I believe that it, it should be, it should be common knowledge, but it's being lost to the ages because we're all busy ordering dominoes or whatever. Yeah. Honestly though, think about how much society's taken away from you just as basic knowledge that is things that people should know. Like even just like the fermenting, like, Think about how much food goes to waste because people don't know how to do something like that. Like there'd be so much more food saved, even if you're buying grocery store food, if you knew how to ferment it, you know, but maybe that's on purpose though. I think it is. And it's like uh, people being afraid of their food and afraid of uh, foodborne illness and just not having a good understanding of what, what's salmonellin, where does it come from? What's botulism and why does it happen? It's just been like this campaign to scare us, you know, ever since pasteurization, it's like, milk that has been pasteurized doesn't break down um, or rot the same way that unpasteurized milk does. Unpasteurized milk has all these microbes that basically it wants to turn itself into cheese. When you have a pasteurized milk, it's, it's not good. You know, you've opened a gallon of milk and that's not, that's bad. And it stinks. Sour. It's not like a good stinky cheese smell. It's like, it's gross. The same is true with like eggs. You know, if you, if you have unwashed farm fresh eggs, those things will last on your counter for weeks on end. Uh, but you buy them from the store and you leave them out of the refrigerator for one night and they're no good. Yeah. Just even look washed. at the yolk color too, when it comes to like, cause I have my own chickens too. Like the egg, the egg uh, or the yolk color is completely different. It's more of like that orangey natural color when you raise them yourself. And it's like, it's impossible. Even if you buy, the like, you know, free range, grass fed, whatever chickens and all, stuff, they all still have the, yellow. All the words that are supposed to make you feel better on the package. Yeah. It still doesn't provide you wow. with the, that good color. And that color comes from them foraging and eating grass. And, yeah. And all, all those words like free range, you know, I, I used to, I used to, uh, to sell meat for a living and I, I got to know very quickly that some of those terms are absolute bullshit that are there to to raise the prices on things, uh, free range, at least, uh, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, the, the definition of that was that they were able to make a full turn inside of a cage. <laughs> so you, they can be isolated in a cage their entire life, but if they're able to turn around, if they're able to move, because pre prior to that, there was a big problem with, uh, chickens feet fusing to the bottom of their cages and the stacks of cages. Aww. So, yeah, so it became like a real humanitarian effort that people wanted to get the free range ones because then their then their 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 feet wouldn't be fusing to the cages, and um, that's cool. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. I'm not saying that that it's not, but at the same time, it puts a picture in your head. You, you hear free range, free range, organic fed chicken, and uh, most people are going to picture something probably closer to what's outside of our place or your place. 
Um, it's they're not going to be picturing um, a, a giant warehouse with a bunch of chickens who've never seen natural light who are able to turn around in their cages. Dude, it's sad too how much stuff they can use the term, but it completely means something different. Like even going off of like things that say all natural, like you'll read the ingredients or you'll read stuff that says organic and there'll be like one ingredient in it that says it's organic and everything else isn't, but they're able to put it in giant letters saying organic with a little, you know, asterisk in the little corner. (laughs) And then you should, you should question whether or not that one thing that is in there is organic or if all the ingredients are organic. Because I've had some first firsthand insight on that too, of that um, a friend of mine and I tried doing a vegetable, uh, an organic vegetable deal a long, long time ago. And he went through all the paperwork to get us registered. And we actually got that yellow tape that you can wrap around your, your produce when you sell it that says organic and organic, organic. I don't know if that's still a thing, but that was at the time. I think it is at least for bananas. I see it still. Yeah. 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 It's still, still at least on some things. And that was like, that was what we essentially bought from the USDA because all he had to do was tell them that there are no chemicals here. And as it, as, as I knew there were chemicals being sprayed on fields adjacent all over the place. And he just said, ah, you know, like whatever, I'm just going to tell them no. And they were cool. As long as we paid them all their money and we filled out all their paperwork and we said that there were no chemicals, they sent us that. And we were able to sell it all the farmers markets and wherever we wanted and call it organic. And it was, I mean, what we were doing was, but there was nobody coming. I mean, we could have been spraying it is, mm-hmm. is really what my point is. We could have been spraying it with Roundup six times a day. Just you <laughs> filling out paperwork didn't, where there was no safeguard there. Right. So, so you're, you're at, and, and that allows other, I mean, we didn't charge an arm and a leg for it, but a lot of people charge a lot more once they have that organic yellow tape to put around their produce. So, you know, like some people are gonna, you just have to assume that there are some shady people out there who are willing to take the time to pay a few bucks and fill out some paperwork, and then they can charge way more for their, for their produce and, and anything else, as far as I'm concerned, any, any factor, it's going to be 10 times less likely to be organic if it's coming from a factory of any type, like where it's just a business deal. It's simply a business thing to get that word printed on their label. They want to get to where they can legally print that on their label and they do not give a crap whether or not there are chemicals in there. And there probably are. Yeah. And honestly too, they could change their process halfway through. And from what you're saying, you know, they may not even check up on it. So they could start off as hundred percent organic and then they realize it's cheaper to do it this other way. So then they start spraying everything and start doing all this other shit. And then again, it, could take, just, it could take years for the process to catch up and even realize that they're not organic anymore. You know? Yeah, honestly. And uh, like that just shows like how rigged the food system is to begin with. I mean, on top of the fact that not even just talking about the organic stuff, but just stuff that they try to portray is healthy for you. You'll read the first ingredients and it'll be like high fructose corn syrup, glucose, like just a bunch of those awful things. And like one thing I've noticed, at least for myself, is avoiding high fructose corn syrup. I started probably like six months ago or so now, and I've always had a fucked up stomach. And ever since I started avoiding that, like my stomach is significantly better. And I started drinking things like kombucha and just different things like that to kind of get my gut health back. And it's made like a drastic difference. But yeah. like, well, you know, it's interesting. Like right now, I'm sure you've, you've heard, I keep seeing memes and stuff going around right now about the Skittles, Skittles having uh, what is it? Titanium oxide in it or something some, like yeah, that. Some chemicals that are illegal. It shouldn't be considered food or something. And um, you know, it's, it's, to me, that's, that it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I haven't done anything more than seeing a few, 
uh, memes about it, but it, it gets my mind going. Cause I'm like, well, whatever, I'm not eating Skittles in the first place. So, so like, I don't give a shit. And it's full of so many other uh, poisons as I would call them, you know, like high fructose corn syrup and stuff like that. But um, you know, I, I don't know. I hope everyone's asking this question. Like, why is that ingredient in there? Like what purpose does that ingredient hold there? Because if according to the, the memes I've glanced at, like France doesn't have the poisons in there. They're the same right? products and also labeled as Skittles, right? And, and I've seen this, uh, you know, throughout time, like there are a lot of products that in the United States, you look at the, the, the ingredients list and it's a paragraph and it's, uh, you know, 90% poison. And then you see like a European version of it and it's like, you know, 12 ingredients and only three of those are poison. Um, Dude, but, even looking at like pop coming from Mexico, just like look at Coke thinking. or anything like that. Like it's yeah. sad that Bingo. Mexico has better quality soda than we do here. And, yeah. and the root of it, I think it all comes down to capitalism because it's just well, the cheaper way of doing things. Okay. So corn syrup in itself is, is it's a, it's a, it's a terrible trap because uh, we have so many subsidies with it that are on, on specifically high fructose corn syrup. They pay corn growers to grow more corn so that they can put more, so they can make more of that into high fructose corn syrup. And not corn that you could go grab a cob and start eating it, but like corn that's specifically it's high designed. in sugar. It's not palatable to be eaten. It's just to be broken down and, and used for sugar. And then, and then they also use these similar subsidies to get the, the businesses such as Coca-Cola. They say, we'll cut you a deal because we're getting these subsidies or they'll give Coca-Cola themselves subsidies to go ahead and purchase the corn syrup because they made so much corn syrup that they need to be able to use that excess. So they, they pit them into using it. And then just, it, it almost doesn't have to do with it, but you know, just to put a, another little stab into our, into our eyes and our backs with it. They also then raise taxes on the products that Coca-Cola is selling because it has high fructose corn syrup in it and they recognize that it's poison and then it's killing us and that we're going to need to raise taxes so that we can afford the medical bills of all the people consuming the product. It's, it's the whole thing is like, it's by design there to fuck you, to fuck us, to as, as people like to, population to control. Keep us, yeah. And, Sick and, 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 and sad and complacent and addicted and drain us of all our money and power. And one of the saddest parts about it is the average person you talk to this about is like, well, but I like Coca-Cola. Why are you mad at me for liking Coca-Cola? And like, last thing I'm mad at is an individual for liking Coca-Cola. It's a delicious beverage. I, I enjoy Coca-Cola from time to time. You know, it's uh, especially those Mexican ones with less poison. In it. That's what I was going to say. You got to go for the Mexican <laughs> ones if you are going to yeah, drink one. Cane sugar instead. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it's, you know, most people are just trying to, to, just trying to survive. And there's these products that are put in front of them. And they are, I mean, they're stacked with poison so much more than needs to be. I mean, like, I don't think there's a healthy way to make Coke. It shows you right there. And French Skittles versus American Skittles or whatever, whatever product it is you're talking about. There's why, why are they putting, is it titanium oxide that they, that, that I saw? That seems right, but I can't remember either. It's some oxide. It's yeah. a, it's a heavy metal oxide that they put in there. And it's like, it's probably for like color stability. Well, they'll say stupid. that it's a food to preserve the food, but a lot of the times they put this stuff through us is because it's a byproduct of something else. And everybody already knows about fluoride and what is it, it comes from aluminum smelting or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they started saying, what can we do with this fluoride? Well, Oh, let's tell everybody it's good for your teeth. We'll put it in the water and your toothpaste and a bunch of other shit. It's the same thing with other stuff too. 
it's, or things being fortified with vitamins because they've cooked that and processed it to the point there's no vitamins left in it. So then they put these artificial vitamins back into it. Like things legally need to be fortified like cereal and stuff. If you buy, you know, post cereal at the store or whatever, that stuff's all fortified with fake vitamins because it doesn't have any nutrients in it. People would be sick if they didn't have these added vitamins. So they say, mm-hmm. yeah, honestly. And it's sad too. Cause it's like you buy a product and you think that you're actually getting something decent, but it's something totally different. Like one, I always like to point out is root beer. Like mm-hmm. root beer is something that is naturally made and it's naturally carbonated, but 99% of root beers that you find, they're basically root beer flavoring and carbonated water. And it's not even actual root beer. And it's like, when you actually try root, actual root beer, it's like a completely, totally different taste. And you're just like, what the hell have I been drinking this? Lenny knows better than anyone. Real root beer is medicine. It is medicine. Mm -hmm. It's, and that's why I call it herbal root beer. When I talk about what I do, because the stuff in the store is a syrup that's made from artificial flavoring and corn syrup usually, mm-hmm. and then carbonated. Um, or if it's from Mexico, it's, it's <laughs> cane, cane sugar, sugar but, flavoring uh, and carbonated. Right. Water. But if you make the root beer yourself, you're fermenting and the yeast starts to break down the sugars that you put in the soda. So it still has a sweet taste, but it has less sugar in it and it has less of a hit to your system. You'll have less of an insulin response, but then also you're using like sassafras and birch bark and sarsaparilla root. And, all, and uh, I put dandelion root and licorice. It's, root. it's all it's, ancient medicine. It's all. And if you look into each of those herbs, you can see all these medicinal properties that they have. It's like th- these were tonics to help your gut. You know, there's ginger root in it as mm-hmm. well. It's like, it's really good. It's like this effervescent. It's not carbonation that makes you feel like you have to burp and your throat hurts. It's just like this. It's like a, you make a really good tea and sweeten it and then ferment it and the wild yeast in the air and wild bacteria. So it's all probiotic rich. It's like, that's, it is, it's medicine. Yeah, honestly too. And even like, I found one brand that I buy that's actually good natural root beer. And it's weird too, because you can notice the difference, even in just the carbonation, the fact that it's naturally carbonated, like you can leave it open on the counter for a day and it'll still be carbonated the next day versus like anything else. You leave the top off and it's completely flat at that point. That's because it's alive. And so as long as there's still carbohydrate and sugar in that liquid, the yeast are still eating and the yeast I call it yeast farts when I do my workshops because that's what CO2 is. It's just like yeast eating the byproduct is the CO2 gas. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. And so, yeah, like we are just not as a you know country or a world, we're not as used to eating living foods anymore as we were prior. You know, like I said about pasteurization and milk, that's just one thing, but fermented foods and the way we used to make soda or ginger beer is another example. Ginger beer is a fermented food, but when you buy it at the store, it's just a soda. It's just an artificial flavor. There's no ginger anywhere in it. I'm shocked at how many dirty looks I get when I tell people like what kombucha is, for example, and they're like, oh, there's living things in that. Like the response of people from that is ridiculous considering that it's like your, your whole inside of your body is a community of a bunch of living yeah. microscopic organisms. And you're grossed out and weirded out by the fact that you're trying to help those organisms. Like, wouldn't it make, wouldn't you almost want all of your food to have organisms in it to be able to rebalance yourself out? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we would, but we, we, Louis Pasteur came up with the pasteurization process. And, um, now we have this idea that everything needs to be sterilized. Yeah, that's it. And if people think their food needs to be sterilized, your kitchen counters needs to be bleached, you, you know, like everything's going to make you sick. The foodborne illness 
that we are familiar with usually comes from mishandling of something or bad farming practices. It's not actually just inherently a problem on food. I, I didn't have to be afraid slaughtering chickens and then processing, you know, breaking those carcasses down in the kitchen to make like packs for, you know, breasts to go in the freezer and thighs in a different pack. I wasn't scared I was going to have salmonella because I knew how, how those chickens were taken care of. They were moved every day that they, they, they weren't sick. It's, um, it's not something that's just, it's the scary beast that's lurking around every corner. You're going to get salmonella if you touch a chicken or if it's not cooked to death or, you know, a rare steak is a really bad and scary thing. You talk about E. coli and stuff. E. coli is not on the meat. It comes from poop. E. coli mm -hmm. is from bad farming practices, from rats in facilities, from people not washing their hands after they go to the bathroom. That's why an E. coli breakout, you know, like everyone famously remembers, was it Jack in the Box had their E. coli breakout? That's like kind of when when E. coli came onto a lot of people's Shane's radars. Shane's probably too young, but I remember that. I was it, pretty young. I was little. It was it was some time ago that there was like the burgers gave people E. coli. I say I think I have one had one Jack in the Box in my state that I used to go to all the time when I was a kid, and then it closed down maybe like ten years ago. So they're completely yeah. out of Michigan. Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, whatever. If it a fast, a, a fast yeah. food, people will associate E. coli with fast food a lot of the time. But every time I can recall a a recall, <laughs> every time I remember a recall of something because of E. coli, it's been like usually organic, like spinach, like baby spinach mm -hmm. leaves packaged with the Popeye on the on the on the package. All of that gets recalled because of a because of an E. coli breakout. Um, that's because it's raw and it's being picked by people instead of it, like it's 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 people that contaminated it as they were as or they were rodents doing. in these huge facilities that are just yeah. loaded. It's just not the same where you're going to go out and harvest enough for you to eat that day and something's fresh and you know how it's been handled versus having a huge warehouse full of spinach that you know, who knows what's going on? Yeah. Who, who knows how that happens in those, in those big places, but it's going to be on, on food like that, not just meat, not on the burgers at, at McDonald's or whatever, even though, you know, it is, I, I'm, but sure, the burgers, I'm sure you can get a cola. At you can get a cola at McDonald's, but it's because of the people who are handling your food. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like, cause of the stuff that doesn't get cooked being mishandled at the factory where they were back. Yeah. That's what I meant to get at with the, with the Jack in the box thing is it, is it had to do with their employees, not washing their hands. Most likely that people got E. coli from the place, not, not their burger stash, not their meat stash. Mm -hmm. It's weird too, like the American standard of things. It seems like we seem like we try to act like we have the highest standards, but at the same time, we're the ones that have the most problems. Because like one thing I like to point out is Japan, they eat raw eggs constantly for different, like there, there's this one dish that they do. I forgot what it's called at the moment, but it's basically rice and you crack a raw dish or a raw egg into it and then you mix yeah. it into it and it Super makes the eggs. Yeah, it makes it creamy. Like yeah, so good. You can't do that with American eggs. But you can do that with Japanese eggs, which just shows like how much higher their standard is as far as like their food goes. And like I, I like to eat that, too. And it's like I would never be able to ever attempt that if I didn't have my own chickens, you know? Well, yeah. And then that's what people don't know is they think that salmonella is on the inside of the egg and it's not You're, the salmonella that you could come in contact with is on the shell of the egg. And that comes from bad farming practices and then washing the eggs. And then by the end of the day, the, the slurry of water that they're washing these eggs in is brown and disgusting and it's going over every single one of these eggs 
So if there is a colony of salmonella, you know, bacteria in there, they're making sure it's evenly, it's evenly distributed on every egg egg instead of just that one. If you're careful when you crack your egg and you wash your hands, then you can make, you know, mayonnaise or whatever with a raw egg from the store. Mm -hmm. But you have to be really mindful that you're not getting what's from the shell in there. Otherwise you need to cook it well, but the bet, even a better way to be careful is to find a person in town that's got their own backyard chickens or, and they don't wash their eggs or, um, you know, better yet have your own. Honestly, I think that's kind of what the standards coming to now is that you have to go back to local community, even for like food. Like I go to, um, Eastern market every weekend, which is for people that aren't familiar with Detroit area stuff. Um, it's like a farmer's market for a bunch of different people in Michigan where they all kind of come together every Saturday. And it's like, that's where I primarily buy my produce. And it's so much better quality coming from just like the smaller community of things. And it's like, even if you don't have your own chickens or you can't, you don't have the means of doing that kind of stuff. At least you could go to a place like that and be able to buy farm fresh eggs and know that they're good quality coming in too. And it's like, you can kind of tell how much more effort and love goes into the food just by like the people that are there that even if you're not growing it yourself and you don't have that satisfaction of knowing like exactly where your food comes from, just being able to see the person firsthand that grew it definitely brings you a whole new level of comfort to like knowing where your food comes from, for example. Sure. I, I feel like a lot of people will argue that it's too expensive, but there are other ways. You don't have to go to the farmer's market, but you can also find people who are doing this in their backyards that aren't advertising and their cost is going to be less because they didn't have to pay for that space at the farmer's market and they don't have the fancy egg cartons you know, you bring their egg, your egg cartons back to help keep costs down. And then you're paying, you know, a couple bucks less a dozen to get your eggs. And then the same thing goes with beef. Like, yeah, you might not be able to buy the cut you want at the farmer's markets, $12 a pound or whatever. But when you get a half a cow from a farmer and fill your freezer, cut and wrap and everything, even this year after so much increase in fuel cost and hay, it's still only $5 a pound. And yeah, for hamburger, that sounds expensive, but for T-bone steaks, it's not. So when you think of getting all of that variety of cuts, it's like, it comes out to being a huge savings. And then you just are investing in your meat for the year when you do it that way, instead of buying for, you know, a steak for a meal. I mean, you get peace of mind out of it more so than anything too. Like farmers are not even just farmers markets, but just like the little roadside stands. Like in Michigan, Mm -hmm. we have like the Detroit area. And as soon as you go like 10 miles out, it starts getting a lot more rural. So it's like, I could drive around for hours and find little fruit market or little fruit stands, which is so much different random things in it. Um, and such like a weird variety of things too. Like you could probably drive around and find some people that are selling chickens on the side of the road, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, what do we get good honey? And Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what state are you guys in? Washington state and the Northwest corner, like all 35 miles from the Canadian border, probably. Yeah, we're real close to Vancouver. Vancouver, BC is the closest large city to where we're at. Oh, wow. I thought you guys are a lot more towards like the middle of the United States for whatever reason. No, we're, 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 we can practically see the coast from here. We're, we're right on the coast and we're right at the border and we're right at the mountains. We're in a, we're in a pretty, pretty sweet little spot. Oh yeah, dude. That definitely sounds like it'd be awesome. Like I'm definitely jealous of the fact that I, I live in Michigan, which isn't that awful, but it's like, we don't have any views out here. At least you guys, mm. like you guys get more to see. We just have pretty much like flat land unless you go to the UP, but it's not really like mountains or anything like that. It's kind of just big yeah. overextended hills. So it's like, we've got, we've got a 10,000 foot mountain in our backyard. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, it's, it's always there, you know, 
looking after us. It's pretty great. And we're, and, but we're at the same time, we're like right on the coast. We're, we're at the water. They say it's a volcano though. So you never know when it's just gonna. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> I'm more skeptical of that now than ever before. Yeah. For but, sure. oh, you know, I just want to back up just a sec uh, with talking about, you know, raising our own food and, and even buying food from someone that you, you see and talk to and, um, Something that I, I think is is important to mention, at least from my opinion of it, is there's also like a spiritual component to all of that. There's like a wholeness to when you see the food grown or you speak to the person who grew the food and you make a personal connection and then you consume that food and it becomes a part of you. Like, I know it's a little, little woo-woo for some people, but I think it's absolutely like, like a truth that has more... I think it has more to do with that than it does the quality of the food or the flavor of the food or, or any of those things. It's um, it's like, it's we're more connected to the earth and we're more connected to our community when we actually grow the food or speak to the people who grew the food than we do from, from getting something from the grocery store that was stocked by someone who, who makes minimum wage, who you'll never meet and you're, and it's, trucked over by a guy who had nothing to do with the farmer who grew it and the farmer who grew it just handed it to someone, you know, like that's been, it's traveled thousands of miles and it's just, it is what it is. And I'm not saying that there's not like nutrition and, and value in people eating food like that. But once you start being more connected to your food, there's, there's a spiritual component that I think is impossible to ignore. I mean, too, just going off of what you're saying, just like the nutrients that you get from stuff that's from your area. Like one example I like to always use is honey, for example, like Mm -hmm. all the health benefits that honey has for the most part are only if you're eating local honey, because one of the main things it helps with is like allergies. So it's like, if you're buying honey from a completely different state from, you know, truck from halfway across the world, like you're not getting that exposure to plants that are in your area, like you would from just local honey. Cause that's, that's another huge thing for me is like, when I go to the farmer's market, that's one of the top things I always look for is some fresh honey. Um, because I used to have really, really bad allergies and I started buying local honey back when I was a teenager. And I don't know if it was the honey or just me growing out of it, but like 99.9% of my allergies went away just for me eating honey every day and just getting that different, uh, all the different things that honey, honey offers. I mean, it, and on top of that too, it's, it helps with, it's like a natural thing to help with like sore throats, Um, and then if you choose chew beeswax, for example, too, that's another like alternative to like gum that isn't bad for you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's tastes better in my opinion, because I'm not really a big fan of like gum because it just tastes artificial and fake where it's like you chew on some beeswax and it's sweet. (laughs) Honey even has antibacterial properties and you can use it to dress wounds and and help with healing and help with infection. Like it's, it's a miracle, but you're right. it, it, It is much better for you when it comes from close and you can taste you know, what it was around, you know, uh, blackberry honey, for instance, um, or whatever blossoms there after clover, honey, clover's common around, common here. around here, blackberry and clover. Yeah. That's good stuff. Did you, uh, guys hear about that thing a couple of years ago where there was a bunch of bees that had a bunch of weird, different color honey and it, they found out that they were at, it was near an M&M facility or something like that. And they mm-hmm. were like, licking and taking the extra like m&ms they're throwing away and the colors were coming through in their honey <laughs> whoa no that's gnarly you have oh, to look man. it up it was super weird like yeah, they'd have should. like one solid red honeycomb one solid green honeycomb like it was weird 
Whoa. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I see like on um, yellow jacket nests around here, um, they chew up wood and, and make their nest out of pulp that they chew up, right? So when they're too close to the house, I start seeing streaks of the colors that our house is painted. Because yeah, they're so chewing because they're chewing up wood that's been painted. So like that paint is part of their nest now, you know? So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the environment where, where animals are living, it absolutely affects every, every aspect of them. That's, that's crazy though, for bees to be making M&M honey. Yeah. It almost sounds like a gimmick that you would see, you know, like M&Ms is now selling honey. That's <laughs> like, you know, I'm curious how like it tasted. M&Ms. Like, I want to yeah. know if it tasted good or if it tasted awful or if it was even good at that point. Cause think about all, like we we're talking about all the terrible things that they put in food. And if it gets interned in the honey at that point, is the honey even good for you anymore? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then continuing mm-hmm. off of the, uh, what we we're talking about with animals, just taking things from the environment too. Um, I have, well, it's my, it's Gabby's, my, my girlfriend for people that don't know, um, her aunt's house. They have a bunch of like little birdhouses that they build going down the side of their garage. And uh, they ended up having an issue where their neighbor was getting mad about them having the birdhouses there because the birds would take apart the screen and they've taken apart like two screens. They said over the years completely, and they've had to replace the screen and all the little pieces of wire and everything. You can see inside of the bird boxes and they're using them for, you know, building their nest with it. They're so resourceful. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And they don't care if it's your house, they'll fuck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Awesome. Um, so going into like everything that we've been talking about, um, coming from two people that do as much as they can, as far as, you know, trying to sustain, I don't want to say fully sustain yourself because I guess it's not really what it is, but, um, try to do as much for yourself as possible. That's kind of how we say, yeah. Like, uh, what for, say somebody that's trying to start doing this for themselves, uh, what do both of you guys think are some good starting points on what you think they should do? And also what's some things that you feel is just. Like if you had to pick three things, just things that you think that somebody definitely needs to know. Um, so I think that everyone is so different and your situation is so different and your environment and your skill set and your resources that are available that really you have to answer that question yourself. But I would say don't wait for a perfect situation to start to learn new skills So if you want to be more prepared because you don't know, because the food market is uncertain, um, think about learning to do something now instead of waiting till, oh, you're going to get out of the state you're in and you're going to move to a bigger property or you'll have more money someday to do something else. Like I have a YouTube video on my, on preserving today on my YouTube channel that shows how I learned to grow sprouts on my counter in mason jars. So if you're in an apartment in the city and you've never grown anything ever, starting by sprouting seeds, you know, like alfalfa sprouts or clover sprouts, like you get at the store to put on a sandwich or on a bagel, you can grow them in your house. You don't need sunlight. You don't need dirt. It's easy and clean and quick. And you just basic stuff. So you buy some seeds, you sprout them, then you have these salad sprouts, fresh nutrient dense food that you grew in your house. So if you can do that in an apartment, you could do that in a basement, you could do that anywhere. And then not only are you making something from scratch, but you're watching the life cycle of a seed. 
you're seeing how that starts to sprout and, and come to be. And then it gets to the point where the first little leaves come out and, and it just gives you some kind of an idea of what was happening in the underground when you're planting a seed. So I think that's a really cool one to start with. And if you got kids too, they definitely love it. Cause I uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. got a garden going in the back and my daughter wanted to grow some pumpkins this year so that she could carve her own pumpkin. So I showed her how to do that where, you know, we put it in paper towel, we put it in her window, let it sit in the bag and get humid. And as soon as it started sprouting, she got super duper excited about it. Um, planted it in the backyard with her. So now she's watching it grow too. So it's like, you can also turn it into a learning experience, um, for the next generation, just off of just doing small little things like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We have an eight-year-old and a almost two-year-old and we keep, we keep them home. We do school at home or whatever we want to call it. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a big part of it. And our eight-year-old just kind of watching what we do. And when something piques his interest, just kind of like diving into it. It's pretty great. He thinks the sprouted seeds look like spider legs though. So he's he's not as into (laughs) eating them. So I guess going into like the more of the family side, um, I'd like to know, like, what do you guys do that you think is different than how normal people would raise their kids that you feel is productive in helping your kids out? We don't hit them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, we, um, we talk to them like they're people and we keep them home. We don't send them to public school for daycare. Um, that's probably the weirdest thing we do. I know it's more and more common all the time, which is exciting to see. Um, but, uh, we also have maybe a more unconventional way of homeschooling where we don't use a curriculum. We, um, we do what is commonly referred to as unschooling, which is just basically child-led learning. So any, anything that seems to pique the interest of the eight-year-old, we just like dive into it with him. So whatever he's interested in, we basically, you teach your kids how to research something when they get into it. And then every subject you need to learn in school is right there in that lesson. So like if you, if it's, I always pick a video game to compare this to, because I think that's something that people have in their head is that's really, really bad for kids. But say if he gets really into a video game like Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Switch, well, he's needing to read because that doesn't have dialogue. And he's asking all these questions about, you know, ancient technology and, and weaponry. And so we might take a day to like, just dive into any one of those things, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah, it makes them very interested like just that game right there makes them interesting. Now, when I bring that up, like he can have like a serious discussion about, about, you know, building our own bow, for instance, you know, uh, things like that. Um, I, it's the, the story I've told it so many times that it's, it's gotten old, but, uh, I'll, I'll do it again in case you haven't heard it and it's, and I've gotten it pretty quick, but when I first decided to homeschool him, I quit my, my job at the auto body shop where I was working 60 hours a week, and um, I, I got a box of books about homes or of homeschooling, like workbooks from a friend of mine who had homeschooled multiple kids. And I tried putting together the schedule that was like, you know, we wake up at this time, we have breakfast, we go outside, we do chores, we come back in, we work on math, we go back outside, we do this, we come in, we do reading, we go back out, you know, like I tried having this like rigid schedule and it was super hard because that's not the way I've ever really functioned at my finest in my life is not with a rigid schedule. So I was really struggling with that, but I was sticking to it and I was trying so hard, but this was all new to homesteading. Homesteading was new to us and I had a lot of work to do. And one day I essentially in my head, I said, you know what, we're going to play hooky today. It's a school day because it wasn't a weekend because I thought there was a, 
importance to Monday through Friday and yeah. then weekends off, you know, kind of a thing. And we took the day off from school to work on doing a bunch of stuff outside all day. And it was pretty productive. And then Lanny's mom came over that evening and uh, she first thing she did was she asked our son, what did you learn in school today? Because she's she's skeptical to all this homeschooling stuff. Right. So I'm already like pulling my hat down and, uh, you know, kicking dust and going, oh, man, he's going to throw me under the bus. He's going to tell me he didn't do any school today. And he went right into a list of like 20 things that he learned that day. He learned about leverage because we had moved a chicken coop that day. And we and I was the only one with any real strength. He was five at the time. Um, you know, so he was watching me like have to lift up one corner, put a jack under it, lift up another and then back a trailer in. And then eventually we moved it and we did all these things. And I was talking to him the whole time and I was telling him about leverage and why even though this is too heavy, I'm able to do it and all these things. And a dozen other things that we did that day. And he listed them all off to the, to his grandma. And she was like, oh, that's so great. And I realized in that moment that everything is homeschool. Mm -hmm. Everything is homeschool. If, if you take it on from the, from that perspective, you don't need a lesson ever. You just need to be an active human. Living life is the lesson. There's lessons all day, every day. All of us learn all the time, you know, based on what you're interested in, what you're doing, what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's, it's hard to find a moment that's not homeschool when you're spending time with a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 10 or 12-year-old. If you're letting them in on what you're doing, you know, he, my son follows me while I'm doing chores and I talk about what I'm doing all the way. I'm often figuring out new processes because I'm trying to figure something out because it's something new, but other times I'm doing something I've done a million times and I just say what I'm doing out loud. And suddenly that becomes homeschool. There's a ton of that outside. There's a ton of that inside with mom in the kitchen. Uh, I, we've essentially never taught this eight-year-old anything, nothing, nothing at all, but yet he knows math pretty damn well. And it has to do with using tape measures and measuring spoons. And so we've, we've never sat down and taught him how to read, for instance. The other day I'm on the computer and he's standing next to me and he reads the first three sentences of an email that I wrote to me. And, and I said, stop, stop reading my email. That's why I'm not teaching you how to read because you can read my freaking email. Get out of here, kid. But you know, like he knows how, and it's just, how satisfying is that for him to know he learned that on his own, that he wasn't taught that it wasn't forced. It's like exciting. And now he he's like interested in reading all these signs and things that come around him. And it just came really naturally, you know, step by step. Yeah. You sing the ABCs and you talk about how different letters have different sounds, but it all just comes up in conversation really naturally as they're interested instead of sitting them down and forcing them to do something, which then just human nature is to resist when you're being forced. Yeah. I was going to say you instantly lose your motivation to actually do any of it. Like, my daughter will ask me a million questions. And I'll answer a million questions, but as soon as it's school time to sit down and do that stuff, then she's instantly not interested just because it has school time behind the name. If we're yeah. learning about weather, for example. She doesn't give, she could care less. And then the next day it's raining and I'm describing rain and pretty much saying everything that was in that lesson. But now she's interested because she's physically in the real world. And there's context. Yeah. And who learns better? Yeah, of course, you learn better when there's context, when there's something to hang an idea on. You know, I'll share one really proud mom moment that was pretty recently. We went to a friend's uh, barbecue and. Um, our eight-year-old was playing frisbee with a, another adult that was there and um, they were talking 
He's like, so are y'all done with homeschool for, for the year? You know, are y'all for summer? And he's like, you know, yeah, I, I really realized that, uh, you know, learning is just part of life. It's just something you do all the time. So <laughs> we don't really do it. School's not really a thing. It's just happening all the time. I just like really matter of fact, and just like, really, you know, he like considered it and then told the guy, like multiple adults were like, Oh, he's so, like, he's so well, great. You know, the, the hidden half of what he's saying there is that like, no, I'm not taking a break from learning. Yeah. That's I'm, what he's saying. I'm not mm-hmm. taking a break. Yeah. You know, I like, it's, are you kidding me? A break from school when it's this, you know, is, is ridiculous. Kids can't, I couldn't wait for summer break when I was in public school or government school, as I try to say, uh, because, you know, finally I didn't have to go and, you know, punch the clock. Essentially. I didn't have to listen to the bell each, each day just to, to know when I, when to start and when to get out. And it was like this like freeing moment where, Oh my gosh, it's three whole months three months when you're, when you're eight years old feels like an eternity because like, you know, I mean, for one thing, it is an eternity when you're eight, you know, certain (laughs) sense, but it's also, you you've been, you've been oppressed in this building all these months and months and months. And finally you're out. I don't, you know, I mean, sure. He'd love to go on a vacation or something, but like, even then would he think that's not, there's there's no such thing as a as a time where 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 school stops yeah a vacation is a field trip you know in that sense like you're, uh, you're it kind of goes on high man yeah. if we were to like say go to the coast you know go spend some time at the beach and uh, at the ocean or something like that that would be a whole new thing if we go up to the mountains that's a whole new thing i mean it's that's it, it would it would become hyper start teaching them our... about environments at that point yeah because then you exactly. can show them hands-on <laughs> And a lot of what we do too, is we talk about what conventional knowledge is and what people are learning in school. And then we explore a, a lot of different ideas that other people have. So, well, a good example is always what we talk about, you know, the globe earth model. And we talk about, you know, with the moon landing and all of the stuff that they teach you in school. And then we talk about how other people have other theories and some people believe in there's flat earth and some people believe in puddle theory and some, you know, and we'll go on and on with that. And then if he's interested in one thing, we'll kind of try to delve into that conspiracy and he comes up with his own ideas and they change all the time. And like, I was listening to the new Bart Sabrell book um, on the moon landing. What was it? What's the book? Moon man. Moon man. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to the book on tape and all of a sudden he's asking me all these questions. And then he was like, can, can we, can I listen to that with you? So then we've been, li- we were listening to that, the moon man book. Um, you Which know. Bart Sabrell, if you don't know who that is, he's he he made uh, Astronauts Gone Wild. He's the guy who uh, was famously punched in the face by Buzz Aldrin for asking oh, him to swear yeah. on the Bible if he if he went to the moon. Yeah. So <laughs> part of our homeschools, our eight year old listening to that book on tape with me and like asking a bunch of questions. And he's like, you know, oh, this really happened. You know, I'm like, but just remember, we're listening to this guy's account of it. And we have to keep in mind that this also might not be true just because we yeah. might, you know, we might think we've been lied to before. It doesn't mean that this guy who agrees that we've been lied to knows the truth either we, so it's just kind of like always like keep questioning keep we, we give a healthy mm-hmm. dose of skepticism even within that type of context and i i do and and i think you do too but i make it real clear particularly with the moon landing there is only one narrative which people will not think you're crazy about yeah you know that we did go and that the world is round you know like there there are things that you know it's it's, it's important to me that he understand that if he says anything outside of that, people are going to look at him like he's crazy yeah. so that he doesn't, you know, 
innocently walk into something where, where people are talking about whatever. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? The world's flat. You know, he'll know <laughs> that like he could bring that up if he wants, but they're going to think he's crazy. You know, he can tell people that his dad thinks that if he wants, but know that he's going to hear people say that his dad's crazy to him, yeah. which, uh, you know, like I know that can hurt a kid to hear their, their dad be insulted by, by another person's dad or another person or whatever, you know? So it's like, it's like, no, that we, we hold some crazy beliefs by most people's standards. These are the ones that they were going to want to hear you say if they, if, if they want to hear you say it, but um, you know, and more importantly, you'll hear them say that. And it's up to you whether or not you want to engage with them on whether or not that's true. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like you're talking about earlier, how you just find so many different like-minded people on the internet. And I'm honestly the same way. Cause I'm the same way with my daughter. Like I'm in the process of like, I would love to get more information on how you guys got your kid into like the schooling process that they're in. But like my daughter right now, I have like computer homeschooled so that I can kind of hop in and like put my two cents in on things. But I kind of do the same thing too, though. Like I'll entertain the idea for her about certain things, but I'll tell her like, again, that there's certain things you can't talk about with certain groups of people. You can't mention certain things with certain, like prime example that I I like to point out is we're talking about uh, Egypt for whatever reason. They're talking about how they use bronze tools to build the pyramids. And I'm just like, no, no, no. (laughs) Come Uh up and put my two cents in on that. And I'm like, people may look at you like you're crazy for saying that, but you know, you got to form your own opinions and, you know, have evidence behind why you have your opinions. That's usually what I tell her, because you don't just want to go around spout, you know, yelling your opinion at people if you don't have anything to back it up. Um, that's yeah. like what half the battle is to be able to defend yourself. But yeah, and, like, and that's a great one there, too. Like telling, you know, like I will tell my son with the utmost confidence that I know that they did not cut those stones with bronze tools. I know they should know. That if you say they weren't cut with bronze tools, there are some people who will like ridicule you for that. And mm-hmm. even more than just telling him that they weren't cut, asking him questions that make him come to his own decision on what he thinks might have happened. Sure. Do you think it's possible they were? Here's all the facts we know about bronze tools and stones. And then letting him like see that through. I mean, that's really how you learn to think critically, right? That's the and problem I'm- with the schooling system, too, is the fact that they want you to think one specific way and... I, I was saying it for a minute and didn't even realize it was from 1984, but pretty much like they want you to think two plus two is five when mm-hmm. it's yeah. clearly four. If you actually put the pieces together and think for yourself, but they don't want you to do that. They just want you to know that this is the answer. Just when memorize, you get asked this question. Memorize the answer. Memorize it. And this is always how it's been. And this is a fact. And if you don't know this right answer, you're an idiot. And then you, you just get into the space where you just know if I just memorize and repeat and I don't think, and I don't ask questions, that's how I win. That's how I safely get through this. Government schooling and even like uh, uh, higher academics, but all of that is all based in snuffing out critical thought, giving answers, not understanding answers. That's and why that's, they'll do that thing where they have two questions or two answers that could both be right but they want you to think a specific way and go with the one answer. And if you do the other answer, which is also right, that one's wrong because you're not thinking the way they want you to think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very tricky stuff. And I would, I would recommend if anyone's interested in learning more about childhood learning or unschooling as it's sometimes called, there's a really good podcast. You know, everyone here is listening to a podcast. If that's how you learn and like to take in information, there's a podcast called exploring unschooling. 
and it is really good. The lady has a really sweet voice. It's not the typical kind of stuff I sound like. She sounds real nice, but um, she has a cool community online. I think it's um, livingjoyfully.ca is her website. She's Canadian, but she's got grown kids. She's got grown kids. So like she has also written several books on unschooling. So if you look through her, her podcast, you can find some where she just reads from her books consecutively on episodes. So you can basically get a book on tape for free. So those are the ones that I like to listen to the best other ones. She's interviewing other people who have unschooled, but she talks about her kids and like the journey and being unsure. And our, a big part of unschooling is another word they use is de-schooling. So when you mm-hmm. first leave public school, if that's been um, where you were doing your learning prior, or if you, you're, you know, the parents are from that mindset of school, you know, happens between certain hours on certain days of the week, sitting at a table, um, you kind of have to go this, through this process of just being okay, not doing school at all until you can start to, to witness your kid learning on their own. And then you start to trust this process and you're able to then begin, you know, really truly unschooling and letting your child lead their learning process. Like, how do you, um, like, how do you get your kid into that? Cause it's something that I've heard you guys talk about before. And I've always been interested in doing it for my kid. And the closest that I've had is like the current homeschooling thing. But of course I still have my issues with that whole thing. Like, one example, not that I have any issue with anybody in particular, but like I walk up and they're talking about pride parades with the kindergartner. I close the laptop. I'm like, no, we're not doing this. Um, yeah. So, I mean, by, by bringing uh, schooling to into your own home and not bringing curriculum in, you're being able to cater to your kids specifically and what you're wanting them to learn. So I would say to, to get into this is really to get out of everything else. So learn the laws in your state so you can protect yourself. That'd be number one. So Washington state laws means you, you don't even have to declare them as homeschooled until they're eight years old. So he didn't need to go to public school or be declared at, at homeschooled until he was eight. So all the, you just don't put them in school. You don't enroll them or you disenroll them and you take them home. And then start reading about unschooling because I think it's like until you see it happening, it's really hard to imagine like how my kid, how's my kid going to learn to read unless I sit them down and they do a workbook, right? But it, it happens, and uh, you can um, just just learn. I would say I would start by learning the laws in your state and see what your rights are. And there's usually uh, there's like homeschool associations in any state that help advocate for people so that they're protecting themselves when they're making the choice to keep their kids at home. Because the last thing you want is any the state involved at all. And then once once you feel comfortable with that, what that is, just you know, bring them home and play with your kids. It's the hardest part is you have to make the decision that one person is home all the time with the children. It's like you can't have two jobs full time, you know, at the same time as as your spouse. And depending on personality, it could possibly be difficult to constantly stay engaged. Because that's that's for me, that's the hard part. Because I, I've always kind of been an introvert. I've always been quiet. I work very silently a lot of the time. And that has changed in the last few years, particularly at home, the home, homework, not my, my matrix job that I go to to earn USDs. But uh, when, I'm, when I'm with my son and I'm doing stuff, I have to stay engaged. I have to tell him what I'm doing and like, you know, have it be a conversation. You're like narrating and you have to be good at them. Like, like listening to them talk, not getting frustrated when you're trying to do something hard and they have questions. So, and then it's also like to just make sure that you're not a person who's going to just let your kids sit on an iPad all day and watch YouTube. It's like thinking of things to do, you know, grocery stores. Hey, here's five bucks. You can spend it however you want to. 
that in and of itself is a lesson in math. Um, if he has questions at the store, encouraging them to ask somebody who works at the store. So they're learning how to communicate with people. They can ask when we're out and about, I often be like, he has a questions about somebody's job. And I was like, go ask him. So he's talking to, you know, the butcher at the grocery store about what their, their job is and how the meat comes in and when, you know, how much they break down and if they package it there or not. So it's just, um, kind of being aware all the time that there's these opportunities to learn and just like kind of helping your guide, your kid to those opportunities. And getting your kid to talk with strangers like that, I think is really key too. You know, it's funny. Uh, gosh, it was like a, a year or more ago. It was quite a while ago. Someone in some forum was saying, yeah, I'd like to homeschool my kid, but I'm really concerned about them not being socialized. And like, that was like really funny to me because it's like, Really? Are you sure? Because every homeschool kid I've ever known tend to be the ones who walk up to adults and speak to them. Um, my daughter my, being one of them too. Like we'll be at the grocery but, store and she'll try to spark up a conversation with almost anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. better at eye contact. And yeah, what my my son he does his own interactions at, at stores and you know stuff like that. But then we go to a park. And it's so it's it's almost embarrassing. It's not really at all. But he'll <laughs> he'll go and he'll start playing with a, with another boy that's about his age, and then he'll figure out who the boy's dad is, and then go over and start talking to the dad, and then stop playing with the boy to sit and talk with the with the dad because he's really interested in what the dad does for a living or whatever, <laughs> you know. And it's like, and then the son's like, the, their son is going, well, I thought we were going down slides together, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's. It's, uh, you know, I, I do wish he would play a little bit more like that, but I mean, my, it's that my, thirst for knowledge. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Because he wants to know, you know, he's like, he's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to paint him as being some smart kid. Who's like too smart to talk to the kid who wants to go down the slide, but the kid who wants to go down the slide, he understands the slide and he's, and he's done that plenty of times with plenty of kids. He's never met a guy who just told him he's a butcher. And, you know, now he wants to know like, where do, where do you do your butchering? Where do you get your meat? Like, what's your favorite animal to I, I cut up? I think some know? of that too is a way an adult will engage with him. It's just different than kids, public school kids that we might meet in the park. Yeah, it's like he he has fun to a point, um, but then they don't talk to him the same way, you know. Uh -huh. And he doesn't speak the language that they do in public school. That's so probably got something to do. There with is it. some part of this where he doesn't fit in because he's different, right? Because he's not part of that machine it's like all those kids know the drill know how to line up know how to you know roll call and everything else and that's not that's not what we do so it it, it you find but you find your people you know even like yeah. at a park he's met friends and we have other friends who homeschool that we can hang out with and um, kept in, in contact with and then before 2020 bullshit we were doing karate and he was in cub, cub scouts. scouts and that was also fun. And you'll meet other homeschool people in those kind of extracurricular activities. But as soon as they were saying masks and stuff, we were, we were done with all that shit. And he was, he agreed on, on stepping back from that at that time. That's one thing that kind of gets lost and played out is that I remember back when I was a kid, like everybody was in boy Scouts at some point. And now it's like rare that you hear about anybody doing that. And that's another one of those things like we were talking about earlier, that it's like such a valuable skill to know how to do all the things they teach you in boy Scouts or girl Scouts. So it's like, it's sad that it got lost along the way. And the fact that like people get made fun of for being into those things when realistically, mm -hmm. like when it comes down to it, those are going to be the survivors, you know? Yeah. Scouts was interesting. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shame to me that 2020 came along 
but maybe it was a godsend in a way to uh, not 2020 as a whole, <laughs> just the Boy <laughs> Scout aspect. Uh, but we we talked about it. He and I talked about it. And I looked online to see if there was local stuff. And there was. And I sent an email. And the guy sent it right back and was like, yes, tomorrow is our registration day. We're having a bike rally. Come to this location at this time and bring a bike. And it was like, you want to do that? Okay, cool. So the next day we did it. And it like started just immediately with like these weekly meetings. There were some, some dues that we had to pay. But then like as an anarchist, it was a little weird because it's like, it's total like military and flag worship. There's probably some masonry kind of stuff. Flag ceremonies. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's there that I'm like, Ooh, and they immediately latched onto me as well. They wanted me to be like a a leader and stuff. Cause you were a boy scout. Cause you got all the home skills and all the hand to hand skills. That's what they were. And, and, and I, you know, I was a scout too when I was a kid. So like I told them about that and they were excited and they, you know, and I, and I'm a nice guy. So they were, they were just like, yeah, like they, they wanted to groom me to be a, to be a leader and have him in there. And I was really thinking on it. I was like, well, should I do it? Cause you know, I'm never going to say this, the, the, um, what is it? The pledge of allegiance. I'm never going to say that. I'm just not going to. So I, I don't want to fight them. You know, I don't want to start some big fight over this kind of stuff, but I wouldn't mind being a part of it because I liked 90%. I might have moved forward with that and maybe tried to have some positive changes on it. I don't know what what really would have come of that. I I do wish that he was still involved with all their camping. I mean, like we only did it for a short time, but we went camping multiple times, and you know it was like it was and hikes and stay hikes and stuff like that. It's just fun. But then mass came along first, and we pulled back a little, and then we got our invites to virtual camp trips, like. Where what we're virtual camp. camp trips yeah we'll all be in our living rooms in our sleeping bags and we'll be on zoom and we're gonna go camping yeah and that's where i was like and i was like this shit i fucking hate you and, and yeah like, <laughs> and then it was like meetings where you had to park two spaces apart with your car and you, you would stay in your car and they'd bring you materials and you had to wear a mask it was like it, <laughs> it was any, any value that i found in it was absolutely zapped out of it the only value i found in it was like getting together with other kids and going outside and camping, you know, like that's, that was where all the value was. And as soon as they removed that and they removed it entirely and swiftly and fast and had new ideas. Aren't aren't these supposed to be the people who are going out to make sure elderly people who are isolated are still okay and bringing people food and things like that. If they had done that in the wake of the pandemic, if they had said, Hey, we're going to go do welfare checks on people and make sure that everyone's okay. And we're going to be the only people who aren't afraid to go out and take care of people. Then I might've stayed part of it. We we might've stayed a part of it, but um, now we ran the other direction as fast as they did from us. So, I mean, that opens up a whole other can of worms for a whole other idea though. Like you guys know, like-minded homeschool type kids, like you could almost start your own, like, I don't want to say anti-boy scouts, but like anti-boy scouts, (laughs) boy scouts, you know, where you can do all the same experiences and teach them things in not the military way, but like in the, I don't want to say survivalist way, but like the homestead style way of doing things, I guess. Sure. And uh, start like a whole new thing. Cause I guarantee you, if you had something like that, that there'd probably be a lot of like-minded people that would love to be able to do things like that with their kids. And uh, I, I bet there would. In the woods, we, could, we could call it home scouts or something. Right. You know? yeah, we actually, we, we have a friend, we have some friends that are starting and like a, 
a homeschool co-op type thing in the fall. And they're, they've just announced they're doing like a, on one day a week, it's like a forestry type thing. There's a guy who comes, I'll teach you how to build a fire and um, plant identification and foraging and all that kind of stuff. It looks like it's going to be cool. For, it's for like a certain age group though. That's awesome though. Cause yeah. I, I would sign my kid up for that. If that was just a class by itself anyways. Mm-hmm. And especially if you did it something too, where it was like, unisex in a sense too so that like you could bring like both your kids and just make it like a family event too like yeah yeah the gender segregation stuff i wasn't crazy about in the first place with boy scouts because i was always jealous i wanted to be in boy scouts i didn't want to be in girl scouts when i was a kid so i joined something called campfire kids or some shit like that that was supposed to be co-ed but my group only had girls in it anyway it was <laughs> <laughs> but like we went summer camp was fun and there was boys and girls there you know what i mean and but then uh, when we joined Scouts this time, it was totally different because this was after they had said that there were like people suing them and said girls are have to be allowed in. So there were groups of girls in Boy Scouts and there were like kids that were transitioning. It was like it was way yeah. different. It was like woke Boy the, Scouts, woke <laughs> Boy Scouts. Yeah, they were working on the woke thing in 2019 and then 2020 rolled around and they did what they did. And it was like, oh, then that I, I know that they took it. I haven't looked at it in two years, but I'm I'm sure that it has gone full woke, full, full, full retard. Yeah, I get I get emails sometimes because we're still on their mailing list. I, actually, I think I just finally clicked like an unsubscribe. Take me off this list. I can't take it anymore. It's I'm glad just, you guys uh, brought it up because now I know not to even look into Boy Scouts for my kid. I'll just do my own thing. <laughs> but, you know, all that said, maybe it is worth looking into because this could be our chapter, our area. Yeah. So whatever troop you have nearby you is the parents that are, are helping volunteer with that are really going to control a lot of it. But there are some aspects of like the organization that is kind of forced on them. If you're going to carry the name Boy Scouts and you need to do certain things, but yeah, look in your area and see if you can find other people like wanting to learn forestry skills and stuff like that. Cause like I mentioned, I was a scout when I was a kid and I was a part of just my most local one and it sucked. It was boring. All the dads just hung out and drank beer and smoked cigarettes while we like did our thing. And I wasn't that into it. And I expressed that to my dad and he didn't really like the other dads. So he just looked around and we found one that was like two school districts over and then that ended up being the raddest troop ever, you know, like, and we, we did all the things. And this one that I joined up with at first, like seemed like a rad one that was doing all the rad things, even though there were girls and a transitioning kid <laughs> and some, some other, you know, PC type rules. And, you know, I got, I got some, some slide glances for, for some, some things that I said, you know, like, like and not, not crazy stuff that I said, I would say <laughs> things like while we're camping, you know, they'd use a blowtorch to start the fire. And I'd say, oh, are we not doing the one match to start a fire thing anymore? Because that was like a, a scout thing. Like, you know, so what like happens challenge. The, where you take the brush and you got to take the two sticks? Yeah, I remember yeah, doing yeah, that, right. Boy Scouts. Like. <laughs> but there was this like when I would say something like that, it would be like, no, that's not the way we can't. We can't set that precedent because then, you know, like it's people not fair. Believe, it's not fair. If we can't, it. if we can't get a fire going, then we're, we're going to have to stick to it. And we can't do that. So we just, we go full the opposite way. And we use a blowtorch to start fire. It's like, I see oh, that as only the strong okay. survive and you're going to make the people that wouldn't survive feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You know, I think one of my favorite little moments of just as the pandemic was beginning, um, 
we went to a scout meeting and it was before they had told us like, you can't go do things anymore. Right. It was right before the lockdown. It was probably probably even a March, probably a week before. Yeah. March, March, you know, 15th maybe or something or just before it. And we're there and they, um, they have all these bottles out and it's hand sanitizer and they're asking everyone to use this. And our kid goes, what's that? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, uh, it's like basically rubbing alcohol in a gel form and it's really bad for your skin and doesn't actually help anything and like two other parents hear me explaining that to him and they're like just like Ugh. they're probably grossed out <laughs> they're like can't believe that we don't all use hand sanitizer already i'm let like alone you know we could go stuff. to the bathroom and wash your hands if you think you should but soap and water is much more effective than this and this stuff dries out your skin it's not good for you and he's he's like oh well but then of course I say that everyone else is using it. He really wants to use it. So he, he uses hand sanitizer for the first time. I think that might be the only time. Uh, maybe he has with his grandma. Yeah, but he didn't but, even want it after that. He was like, oh yeah, it doesn't, it didn't, it was just this lame. cold liquid. And just makes done. me smell like I've been drinking. <laughs> Dude, similar experience with something like that too, is that uh sunblock is one thing that like I don't use. And I always talk about how bad it is, but it's like, then my, my daughter will be hanging out with her cousins and they'll be putting on sunblock. And she's like, I don't use sunblock. And they're like baffled by it. Like, what, what what do you mean? You don't use sunblock. That's how you protect yourself from the sun. She's like, no, I just get out of the sun. If it's too hot and I feel like I'm burning. It's (laughs) like, she's like, you're rubbing toxic poison on your largest organ, which is your skin. Like, (laughs) like it's totally, we don't do sunscreen either. It's like, if you're going to do something, you can put coconut oil on your skin. Cause that that's equivalent to like 20 SPF. Um, just by itself, sesame oil, coconut oil, or, or, whatever, oil. or whatever that oil is, or yeah, maybe coconuts aren't even real. I don't know. That's another conspiracy <laughs> for another day. <laughs> They're actually cameras. All <laughs> <laughs> toxins. I love that. Delicious cameras. I guess, uh, that's a good point where I guess we could cut off at this point and then hopefully do another episode sooner than later. Cause I feel like oh, an hour yeah. and a half or so is usually a pretty good point where sure. people listen, but don't start to lose interest. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess before we start wrapping up, uh, I always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there's any words of wisdom you could bestow possibly different than last time, Chud, but if it's the same, it's all good. <laughs> uh, what would they be? What do you got? I would say um, don't be overwhelmed and frozen don't wait for perfection to start doing something um try if you're interested in something try to learn about it and try to do it in whatever capacity you can with your current situation environment skill set so whether that be something new in the kitchen or growing sprouts on your counter or I don't know, just a new way of doing something. Maybe you want to make your own soap or you don't like shampoo and you realize that vinegar is just as good as hair conditioner. Like just taking something back from the system that we don't agree with and making it your own again while learning new skills. Just do one little thing. Meet yourself where you are. Take something back. Don't become frozen by perfection and meet yourself where you are. And I'd further, for for, if, if, if anybody is listening to this and it's, you know, it's late. It's the second half of 2022 right now. If you don't have a half a cow or some sort of food that you have to back yourself up, like work on that. Like, I I know that that's not always as simple as go buy a half cow because you got, you you got issues like owning a freezer and having a space for the freezer and uh, you know, a number of other, other issues, but work towards something like that. If, if a half cow is too much, 
try for a quarter. And if a quarter is too much, try to go in on a quarter with two other people. And then you're getting a fairly small amount, but you're getting good, good sourced food and you're getting something that can fill up that that whatever space that you do have. And you're making that connection with that local producer. And if you take it as any in, in any other type of direction, I'd say, you know, learning how to can or preserve food in any way is a really great thing to do. And you don't have to even have a vegetable garden to do that. If you can go to your local farmer's market or even your Safeway or wherever and buy tomatoes, especially if tomatoes are on sale and you like you like tomatoes. It's important that whatever you do this with be a food that you like, bring it home and figure out how to can that. And not only are you building your, your skill set and your knowledge, but you're also filling your pantry with something that may just save your life in the near future. Because, and, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying this at the, at the, in the second half of 2022 is hopefully I'm wrong. I really, I always hope I'm wrong on things like this, but these supply chain issues are not going away. And I don't want anyone, anyone who has enjoyed this podcast or Shane's podcast in general, I don't want any of these good, like-minded, critical thinking people to suffer if the food chain does break up. I want, I want everyone to have a, a fighting chance. And um, the best way to do that is to have something in your possession that you did work on yourself and work towards that is my, is my words, of, words of wisdom. I definitely agree. It's a matter of collecting skills. One is a huge thing because even if you don't necessarily have things ready now, at least knowing that you have the option where if there isn't things around that you could still actually do the things for yourself, like even just hunting in general. Like yeah. there may not be it's meat supply around, but knowing how to hunt, boom, that's already yeah. a skill. It's a lot easier to learn how to hunt, learn how to raise vegetables, learn how to can vegetables, learn how to raise food. Any Anything that you could say in this category, it's easier to do it now while the system's in place than it will be once it falls, if it falls. Yeah, do it now while it's practice and when you don't have pressure on you. Yeah. Yep. And I would say a good point to start for anybody that's trying to have a little bit of backup that a lot of people mention on their shows, but I always like to point out rice because it saves for a really long time and it fills you up. So Mm -hmm. even if you're starting small and you're just getting a bag of one pound rice, which is cheap every other time you go to the store, at least starting somewhere and at least you got some kind of backstock and you could live on rice temporarily if you needed to. Yeah. And if you need a protein source, get, get some tuna fish and get a bottle of olive oil and then you've got fat and protein. You're good to go. And getting some beans too, like learning how to soak and use beans. Dried beans rather than a can of beans. Yeah. Yeah. Dried beans, not canned. So that, cause they, they do, they store well, just like rice. And, uh, and it's, it's invaluable to learn. I mean, some people, I forget sometimes people don't know how to cook rice. People don't know how to soak beans, you know, like these are just buy it now while the system's still in place and you can go to, you know, McDonald's or whatever, if you have to, uh, get those things and start figuring out how to cook them. Now start figuring out how to preserve them. Now start figuring out anything you can now with your food and you're, you're gonna, you'll, you'll benefit from it mentally, physically, and in every way possible. Yeah, definitely. Collect them skills because you never know when they might come in handy. Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't I don't remember what the full term is offhand, but what is it? Uh, about the a jack of all trades, a master of none, but it's better to be good at many than just one or something along those lines. Sure. That's yeah. a lot of yeah, things yeah, people yeah. don't keep in mind. It's just even just knowing a little bit of a bunch of different things, you can start putting things together and you can start problem solving in a whole other light. So yeah. while the internet's up, while everything's working properly, just collect as many random skills as you can think of as possible. Cause yes. then you can start Stapleton talks about the pretty good job trap. You know, it's uh, 
the, some of the people who are going to be the most fucked if if the system does collapse are the people who have pretty good jobs, who've had a pretty good job and lived a career with a pretty good job. And they've never really had to look outside of that because all they do is make enough money to bring it home and raise a family and pay for everything they need to. And they don't really look outside of their lane. That's, that's going to be a very difficult spot. If one day it doesn't even have to be a crazy apocalypse or something like that, but one day the industry that you thought was never going to go away disappears. Yeah. And look at the way technology is going. If you do anything that at any point, you feel could ever be automated. You better start learning some other skills just in case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so anybody that enjoyed this conversation, uh, where'd they come and find you guys? Um, so our catch all for everything we do is greenerpostures.com. And that's not greener pastures, it's greener postures. So you can find information about our podcast, The World As It Is Today, under the podcast. Um, tab there. You can find information about my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, or you could just find me on YouTube at Preserving Today. That's where you can find that how to grow sprouts video and a bunch of other stuff, some fermentation stuff. Um, and then we've got um, the work information about the workshops on greenerpostures.com under workshops. I've got one coming up this weekend. Um, I'm sure you're going to release this later, but I have one in August that's um, fermented beverages, which I think you would greatly benefit from, Shane, from the amount of kombucha you like to enjoy. I say every yeah. single episode, uh, not that my listeners oh, can nice. see, but I'm drinking kombucha in every single yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, great. That's so great. Um, if, if you had a really cool swing top bottle with your own logo on the side, you'd be super proud of yourself and it's easy Ooh. and it's way, way, way cheaper. So it's a rhythm fermentation. So you just get into this rhythm of like making it every so many days and you have what you need and it grows itself. So you can expand and you can start selling scobies to other people. It's like a beautiful thing. So the fermented beverages workshop will be kombucha and uh, fruit kvass, beet kvass, ginger beer, herbal root beer. It's like just kind of a catch all for all the different kinds of fermented beverages you could do. Then I do, um, the, the most po popular workshop is fermentation for food preservation. And that's the one that you took Shane. Um, and that is just basically an overview of what fermentation is and how to get started fermenting vegetables, uh, with the point of using fermentation to extend the life of the food that you grow or buy at the store, which was awesome and very informative. May I add Thank for you. anybody that's interested in checking it out. <laughs> And then I want to point out two other things too. Uh, we got another podcast that we do about once a month called Feed the Beauty. And that really ties in with all the stuff we're talking about today. It's us and it's Buffalo and Legs from False Reality Check. Love Buffalo uh, and Legs. Mor Moral Bob and his wife and, and Adam. Also and, love Moral Bob. <laughs> and, Moral Bob and, from Hidden Plain Sight and Adam from Deborah Gets Red Pilled, which is Chud's other podcast. Yeah, so we get together and we're all on homestead journeys of one sort or another at different levels and different ways. And we're all doing different stuff. And we just kind of exchange what we're all up to at, about once a month. So that's really great to tune into for anyone who's interested in all the stuff we've been talking about today. And then speaking of Adam, I've, I'm over there with Adam. Uh, Deborah gets red pilled, feeding Deborah crazy red pills about all kinds of stuff. So that's a, <laughs> that's a really fun podcast that I recommend everybody check out. Uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on today. And it's always fun talking to you guys. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much for having us. This was great. This was awesome, man. We'll have to do it again. Oh, yeah, for sure. So hopefully sooner rather than later. So. Yeah. And uh, for everybody that's listening, I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.
When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.